good morning. We are in the fourth week of our At The Movie series. Clap if you've enjoyed this movie series. It's been pretty cool. So uh, I, I have been having a blast. I love this series. It's very, it's very different than uh, anything that we do during the rest of the year, but I think it's so, much, it's so fun. As I, as I say, we're looking at gospel themes that have emerged in, uh, that emerge in stories that have come out, movies that have come out in the last couple of years. And I, I say it every week that you can't tell a good story and there not be gospel themes that emerge. And so we're kind of tapping into those gospel themes. The movie that we are looking at this week is Encanto. How many of you have seen the movie Encanto? How many of you have seen it twice? How many of you have seen it more than twice? How many of you, because you have children, have seen it way more than you ever wanted to see it? Can I just see your hands? Okay, some honest folks. How many of you cried when you watched it? All right. The rest of you, you are, you are dead inside. Like this is just a movie that just tugs at your heart. So really great, really great movie. Uh, it won a ton of awards, including the Oscar for Best Animated Feature Film. Uh, movies, the songs in the movie were written by Lin-Manuel Miranda of uh, Hamilton fame and The Heights fame and uh, a number of other musicals that he has been a part of. Uh, Encanto, which means charmed or delight in English, is about an intergenerational Colombian family named the Madrigals. And the matriarch of the family is uh, Abuela, uh, which means grandma, grandmother uh, in Spanish. Uh, and her actual name is Alma, but you never hear her name because everyone refers to her as grandma, as Abuela. And years ago, uh, the village where Abuela and her husband, Pedro, along with their newborn triplets, have any of you, let, let me see the number of people that have had twins. Can I just see? Okay, some folks up here, yeah. Anybody else? Anyone had triplets? Anyone? Okay. For those of you who had twins, God bless you, Okay. <laughs> That's enough, that's enough. But they have newborn triplets and the village that they were living in was attacked and they were forced to flee along with all the other villages, all the other town people. And in the midst of the fleeing, Pedro, her husband, confronts the attackers and lays down his life, sacrifices his life so that they can live. So right from the beginning, you see this kind of gospel theme that emerges and is the foundation in many respects of the story. And left with, uh, left with these newborn triplets, Abuela experiences a miracle. She receives an enchanted candle, and the light from the candle, which never goes out, the candle never goes out, pushes up mountains between and the attackers, and it, it creates this encanto, it creates this enchanted place, this charmed place, this delightful place, and it creates this large house, a casita, that is magically alive and, and, and almost is like another character in the movie. And as each child and grandchild of Abuela turned five years old, 
a door in this magical house lights up with their name on it and they receive a supernatural power which is referred to as their gift, which Abuela is constantly reminding them that their gift is not just for themselves, that they didn't get the gift just for themselves, that their gift is to be used to serve the family, is to be used to serve the community. And the only one in the family who did not receive a supernatural gift when she was five is Abuela's granddaughter, Mirabelle. And even though on the surface, Mirabelle, who's now a teenager, as the movie began, seems okay with it, down deep inside, it really, really bothers her. But for the most part, she she hides her pain, she hides her disappointment, and celebrates this extraordinarily gifted family. In the opening song, Mirabelle sings uh, this rapid fire introduction to the family, to some of the kids in the town. And uh, so we're going to show that. Just hang on, hang on. It's fast paced. This is Encanto. So we're going to have so much fun today. We're just going to play songs. And you can just sing along as we uh, play some that are probably pretty familiar to you. So on the surface, and I love the way the movie starts this way, on the surface, it feels like the perfect, perfect family. Family that, like you say, I wish my family was like that. Like, that's so cool. That's a really neat family. Probably a cool family to be a part of. But beneath the surface, there are some cracks that are forming in the family. Some of the cracks are formed by Mirabelle herself, comparing herself to the rest of the family. And even though Mirabelle shrugs it off, she questions like why of all the members of the family, she's the only one that didn't receive a supernatural gift. And at one point she sings a song that's entitled Waiting on a Miracle. And we don't have time to like do all of the songs from the movie, but this one is really interesting. It's called Waiting on a Miracle. And she looks up as if she's crying out to God and she sings, come on, I'm ready. I've been fast and steady. Bless me now as you blessed us all those years ago when you gave us a miracle. Am I too late? Am I too late for a miracle? And who hasn't wondered at times why they didn't receive something that someone else received? Why didn't they receive the same miracle that someone else received? Why didn't they receive the same gifts that someone else received or the same talents that someone else received or the same opportunities that someone else received or the same accolades as someone else received or the same access to power or the same access to money as someone else received or whatever it is. It's just part of our sinful human nature to compare ourselves to others. There was a lot of comparison going on in the church in Galatia. And when Paul wrote to this church, he addressed a number of problems, including this particular one. And he says, each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody, to anybody else. In other words, Paul is saying there is nothing that is gained by comparing yourself to someone else. Because when you compare, you will either come away feeling inferior 
because you feel like you don't measure up or you will come away feeling inferior or superior because you feel like you are so much better off than this other person. Instead, Paul says, just focus on maximizing what you have. Focus on maximizing doing what you can do. Focus on the opportunities that you have been given, that been entrusted to you. Take pride in that and stop comparing. Other cracks that are forming in the family are caused by the pressure that the family members feel to perform so they don't lose this magical house and the supernatural gifts they've been given. Abuela has turned their gifts into something that need to be earned in order to be kept. At one point, she sings, we swear to always help those around us, which is very noble and a great concept. And then she says, and earn the miracle, and earn the miracle that somehow found us. So motivated by the fear of losing the miracle and losing their home, Abuela pushes her children and her grandchildren into this life of legalism, this life of striving, so they won't lose what they've already been given. One of Mirabel's sisters is named Louisa, and her gift, if you remember, if you've seen the movie, is incredible strength. But she expresses the pressure that she feels in this song that's entitled Surface Pressure. And in the song she says, I'm the strong one, I'm not nervous, I'm as tough as the crust of the earth is, I move mountains, I move churches, and I glow because I know what my worth is. But under the surface, I'm pretty sure I'm worthless if I can't be of service. Who am I if I can't run with the ball? Who am I if I can't carry it all? Have you ever felt that way at some level? I think maybe most of us have at times. Have you ever felt like your worth was rooted in your performance? That you were only as valuable, you were only as worthy as your latest great performance? Have you ever felt like your performance determines your worth in your family? Or your performance determines your worth with your circle of friends? Or maybe even that your performance determines your worth to God? The Bible has a term for that. It's called legalism. And legalism can easily creep into all of our relationships, including our relationship with God. That's one of the other issues that was going on in the church at Galatia. These new believers, they knew they had been saved by grace. They knew that their sins had been forgiven because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They knew that they had received all of that, all of that grace, all of that forgiveness. They had received it as a gift. But just like Abuela, they thought that the only way to keep the gift was to do certain things. In fact, teachers had come into the church teaching that, especially things related to the Old Testament law. And they thought they had to earn the right to keep their salvation. And Paul says, absolutely not. And he tells the Galatians, it is for freedom 
that Christ set you free. You have been set free so that you can live a life of freedom. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. In other words, Paul is saying your moral performance is not what makes you valuable to God. Your moral performance is the result of knowing that you are already valuable to God. The other major cracks in the family surround Abuela's denial that there are actually any cracks in the family. Like some of the biggest cracks in the family and in the house that represents the family are the denial that Abuela has that there are any cracks in the family, that there are any cracks in the house. That she sees this family as like the perfect family. And anyone who suggests otherwise is not going to be in her good standing. Which leads to the mysterious Bruno. The third of Abuela's three triplets. Two girls and a guy. A guy named Bruno. And Bruno is the prophet in the family. That's his gift. He's the prophet in the family. But just like with Old Testament prophets, what he says is often rejected or ignored or causes him to be unfairly blamed for things. And that's exactly what happens. People begin to accuse Bruno of not just seeing bad things that are gonna happen in the future, but causing bad things that happen in the future. And when one of his visions involves huge cracks that are forming in this magical house, in the family, Bruno disappears because he knows that he will be blamed. And Abuela responds by forbidding anyone to talk about her son. No one can talk about her son, which leads to the most iconic song in the movie, the song that is even more famous than the movie, that song that people have listened to at times and didn't even know it was a part of this movie. Enjoy this song. Good luck getting that out of your head. Like that song just kind of stays with you. Of course, not talking about a problem doesn't make the problem just magically go away. In fact, just the opposite is true. If you want to experience health in any of your relationships, if you want to experience health in your marriage, in your family, in your relationship with God, you have to talk about Bruno. You have to identify the problems, identify the cracks, and talk about them. The first step in recovery, we're a recovery church, a 12-step church, the first step in recovery is to admit that there is a problem and to admit that you are powerless over it. Mirabelle sees the cracks in the family. And she decides that she's gonna do something about it. She, she goes in search of, of Bruno and she discovers that he's actually been living in a hidden room in the house all this time that he's been gone. And unbeknownst to the family, he's been mending cracks in the house, trying kind of behind the scenes to keep the family together, to bring healing and wholeness kind of behind the scenes to the family. Maybe some of you that 
have some family dynamics going on that are a little bit challenging. Maybe you have at times found yourself like Bruno, kind of behind the scenes, like trying to to patch the patch the cracks, trying to to keep the to keep the house together, to keep the family together. That's what Bruno is doing, and Mirabel goes in in search of him. And because of Bruno, Mirabel believes that her role now, like her purpose now, is to save the miracle. And and that she knows how to save the miracle. But when she tries to explain how to save the miracle to her abuela, it doesn't, the conversation doesn't go exactly the way that she had planned. Take a look. I love the fact that they included this scene in, in the movie because I love it not only because um, Mirabelle confronts her abuela about the things that she's been doing and how that has in fact contributed to the cracks that are forming in the house. And, and the house, of course, is a metaphor for the family. But I, I love it also because in communicating the truth, the conversation doesn't go the way that she thought that it would go. And all of us have like experienced that when it comes to like difficult conversations like you finally begin to figure out, figure things out and you decide that you're finally ready to have the conversation. You want to have the conversation with whoever this person is that you need to talk to and you've been wanting to have that conversation, whether it's with your spouse or your parents or your kids or a friend or whoever it is and you know exactly what you wanna say. Like you've mapped it out. Like this is what I'm going to say. This is how the conversation is going to go. And then the conversation begins and things begin to escalate. And before long, everything just falls apart. That's why the Bible is constantly reminding believers to guard their tongue. (laughs) To guard their tongue. Because things can escalate in conversations, especially conversations where there's conflict, conversations where we need to talk about some things that are really, really important, but really, really hard. Things can escalate so quickly. That doesn't mean that we should avoid those conversations. It just means that tone is as important as truth. Paul says it this way, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. Paul says, speak the truth, but speak the truth. When you speak the truth, speak it with love. In other words, tone is just as important as truth. Now, sometimes in our conversations, in our conflicts, in the the conversations that we have where we're trying to address things with people that we love, sometimes we have the tone just right and we have the truth just right. And still, the conversation does not go well. And that's okay. Sometimes that happens. And when it does, it doesn't mean that we should give up. It doesn't mean that those conversations should never happen. It doesn't mean that we should lose heart and say it's never worth having those conversations. They always go bad. It just means that we need to continue to look for another opportunity, another setting, another time, perhaps another environment to have 
the conversation. And Abuela and Mirabelle in the movie get that opportunity. And this time, the tone is completely different. They speak truth to each other, but this time they speak truth with a little bit more perspective, a little bit more understanding about the other person, a little bit more compassion for the other person. Take a look. Again, if you've seen the movie and you're not crying right now, you're dead inside, okay? So uh, it's this beautiful picture, right? It's this beautiful picture of reconciliation. And what makes it possible is that both Abuela and Mirabel take ownership over their own stuff. That, that really is what leads to the reconciliation. Up until this point, Abuela is not willing to admit any wrongdoing. Like she's been blaming Mirabel and blaming Bruno for the cracks in the house, the cracks in the family. But now she realizes finally and takes ownership over the fact that she's wrong. She realizes that Mirabel is in fact the help that she's been longing for. And Mirabelle has her own stuff as well. It doesn't just go one way in the relationship. She, she hasn't been very sympathetic. She hasn't been very compassionate for her abuela's past pain. And how that past pain and the narrative that she has lived out has contributed to the way that her abuela sees the family and the way that she acts and the way that she speaks and the framework in which she sees all of life. Like she hasn't really had much compassion or understanding for the perspective that her background, her abuela's background like brings to the table. And now she understands that. And she realizes that there would in fact be no family were it not for the courage that her abuela has shown in some really difficult, some really dark times, some really no-win kind of situations. Jesus says, if you want to experience true reconciliation, you need to focus on your own stuff first. You need to focus on your own stuff primarily. Before you try to focus on anyone else's stuff, you need to focus on your own stuff. He says it this way in Matthew 7. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye, your sister's eye, and you pay no attention to the plank that is in your own eye? Like, how can you say to your brother, your sister, let me take the speck out of your eye. Let me help you deal with the issue that you are dealing with when all the time there is this plank, there is this huge issue that you are dealing with. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. In other words, deal with your stuff. It's dealing with your stuff. It's being focused on your stuff that allows you even to enter into authentic reconciliation. Doesn't guarantee it because the other person has to deal with their stuff as well. They have to deal with the plank that's in their eye as well. But that's not your concern. Like when reconciliation happens, it only happens because two people have decided to start focusing on their own stuff. As the movie ends, we see the Madrigal family standing in front of the 
ruins that used to be their, their house, their casita. But then the townspeople show up and they help the family to rebuild the house. But the house is now built on a, a new foundation, a different foundation. It's built on a foundation of grace and forgiveness and acceptance and love. It's the last kind of scene basically in the movie, the final scene that we'll look at today. Take a look. Mirabelle says, I see me. I, I, see, I see all of me. And, and what she means by that is that I, I, see, I see myself and understand myself in a better way. I, I see that I'm flawed. I see that I struggle with stuff, but I also see that I'm, I'm valued. I also see that I have intrinsic worth. Like, and the whole family begins to, to see all of themselves, their, their falls, their shortcomings, the cracks that are there that have to be addressed, but also the value that they are more than their gift, that they have intrinsic value. And really at its core, that's what the gospel is all about. It's, it's about it's about seeing all of, of me, seeing all of ourselves. It's about seeing that we are created in the image of God, that we bear, we are image bearers. We bear the image of God in our being. It's seeing that we are loved beyond measure and valued beyond measure and, and treasured beyond measure and all of that. But it's also seeing that we are profoundly broken it's seeing that we so often miss the mark in what we do and what we say. That's literally the definition in the Bible of sin, hamartia, missing the mark. That so often we miss the mark in what we say. So often we miss the mark in what we do. But the gospel is not just seeing all of me. It's not just us seeing all of ourselves. It's also about seeing all of Jesus. When Jesus was in Caesarea Philippi with his disciples, he, he asked them, when people see me, when people look at me like, what do they see? Who do they say that I am? And they, they told him, well, some say that you're John the Baptist, and some say that you're the prophet Elijah, and some say you're the prophet Jeremiah, and some say that you're one of the other Old Testament prophets. They say all of these things about you. And then Jesus said, but what about you? When you see me, when you look at me, like, what do you see? And Peter, the bold one, stands up and says, you, when I see you, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the Redeemer. You're the Savior. You're the one that we, you are the rescuer. You are the one that we've been waiting on. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus replies by saying, and I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, this play on the word Peter, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. In other words, Jesus is saying, Peter, you see me. You see me. You see all of me. And because you see me and you put your trust in me, your life, your house, your casita is built on this new, different foundation. This new foundation, a foundation that is so unshakable that it can take back everything that hell has stolen. 
Let me ask you a question. Do you see all of you? Do you see how loved you are? Do you see how treasured you are? And at the same time, do you see how broken, how profoundly broken you are? Do you see how much you need a savior, how much you need a redeemer, how much you need a rescuer that you cannot save yourself, that you cannot redeem yourself? Do you see all of you? That you are created in the image of God, that you are treasured by God, that you are loved by God, but also that you are profoundly broken and you need God to redeem and rescue and save and restore. That's seeing all of ourselves. And do you see all of Jesus? Do you see his sacrifice? Do you see his love? Do you see him laying down his life so that you can live your best life? And when you do, when you see all of you, and you see all of Jesus, your life will be built on this unshakable foundation, this foundation that that will storm the gates of hell, this this foundation that, that, that takes back what hell has stolen, this foundation of grace, this foundation of forgiveness, this foundation of power, that empowers us to live the life that God has created you to live. God, we are so thankful. Lord, we know that, the, that really the essence of understanding the gospel is, is seeing ourselves, first of all. That we are created in your image. That we are created for something so much more. That we are treasured, that we our love, but that we are also profoundly broken and so desperately in need of a savior, of a redeemer, of a restorer, of a Messiah. Lord, I pray for anyone who is here today that that they would be able to not only see themselves for who they are, but they would be able to see all of you, that you are the redeemer, that you are the restorer, that you are the one that brings forgiveness, that you are the one that brings grace, that you are the one that allows us to build our life on a foundation that is absolutely unshakable. Come wind, come storms, come rain. It is a foundation that will not be moved because it is a foundation. It is a rock that is built on you. Lord, we give you thanks for that. We pray for those that perhaps have never said yes to this new foundation, to say yes to you today, to to, to own their stuff, to say, "I, I, I, I see my sin, I see my failures, I see where I have fallen short, and I I confess it. I'm not going to try to hide the cracks anymore. I'm not going to just try to patch the cracks on my own anymore. I, I, I need someone to redeem my life, to save me, to rescue me, to restore me. And I know that Jesus is the one. And so I say yes to what Jesus has done for me.
on the cross. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, amen.